0: Welcome to the Composer Studio Podcast. On the Composer Studio, we listen to the music of living composers. We talk to them about their writing process, and we learn about the world of music that they live and work in. I'm Tarek Uradela.
1: And I'm Anna Linville. Today, our guest is award-winning composer Adrian Albert. Adrian's works have been performed throughout the United States and across the globe, supported by noteworthy arts organizations, including the National Endowment for the Arts, ACF, the Rockefeller Foundation, Subito, and ASCAP. Welcome to the show, Adrian. How are you? Thank you. I'm very happy to be here, Anna and Tarek. It's so good to have you here. You're in. Um, are you in on the
2: East Coast or the West Coast? I'm actually on the left coast. <laughs> <laughs> left coast. <laughs> I'm on the west coast. Yes, I'm in Los Angeles, where it is 80 degrees. Actually, as we speak.
1: <laughs> you didn't start out as a composer. Um, you were a singer. I was, and before that,
2: I was a pianist. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh huh. I started studying piano when I was about three and a half. My my parents were both European trained violinists and uh, they decided that they wanted an accompanist and so they started me on the piano and uh, i studied <laughs> <laughs> they thought so but actually they ended up not getting a uh, an accompanist they ended up getting a singer but i do have a a very strong background in piano
1: well we wanted to actually talk about your singing career just briefly this is the show is not about um about you as a performer but as a composer um but we are very much interested in your singing career because you have worked with composers such as Igor Stravinsky, Leonard Bernstein, Philip Glass Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. we usually stick to original works but we just couldn't resist playing a a short performance of you singing um Stravinsky's Owl and the Pussycat and if you could just that would be wonderful quickly tell us um you you were you debuted this piece is that correct?
2: Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, as far as I know, there's only one other recording of it, but this seems to be the most popular and kind of the, the, the recording of this particular piece. And it was the last piece that Stravinsky actually finished. He wrote it for his wife because she loved this poem. And what's interesting about this piece is that uh, the singer and the pianist who happened to be Robert Kraft, and Stravinsky was in, in the control room listening. The singer and the piano never come together until the very last note, which is a D above middle C. And so um, my
1: perfect pitch came in handy the, with this one. I couldn't have been easy. Well, we'd love to take a listen to this. Uh, this is The Owl and the Pussycat by Igor Stravinsky, performed by Adrian Albert, mezzo-soprano, and Robert Kraft on piano.
3: Sea cat went to sea In a beautiful pea-green boat They took some honey and plenty of money Wrapped up in a five-pound note The owl looked up to the stars above And sang to a smoggy Beautiful.
0: That was Adrian Albert performing Stravinsky's last completed composition called The Owl and the Pussycat for Piano and Soprano. So many questions. Uh, First off, though, I'm curious, how did you come to work with Igor Stravinsky? Good
2: question. I uh, always loved to sing, and I sang with choral groups in high school and at UCLA. And then I started singing with the Greg Smith Singers, and Greg had a relationship with the maestro, and he maestro asked if we would uh, record his mass, which he had originally written for Boy's Voices. And because I had a, a very straight tone, you don't necessarily hear it in the Alan and the Pussycat, but in the mass, uh, on the Gloria, I am the alto soloist, and he calls me his very good alto voice. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how I originally met him. Uh, and then I went on to do a number of recordings with him.
0: Wow, that's really, really exciting. And um, you had, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had later set the same poem.
2: I did. I actually... One of your own
0: compositions.
2: Yes. I, for years, I I was intimidated to um, to do my own composition of this poem because I thought there'd no, couldn't possibly be another uh, song uh, with this same, uh, except for Stravinsky. And then I looked online and I thought, oh no, there are 30 or more pieces that have been set to this poem. And I thought, well, if somebody else, another composer can do it, I certainly can, mm-hmm. since I was the first one. I ended up writing a piece that could not be more different <laughs> from the Stravinsky. I, I wrote it for um, for soprano uh and piano it's very lyrical and it's uh, uh with a lot of trills and you know upper voice range it's quite about as different from stravinsky as one can catch mm-hmm. actually met barbara hannigan last year at oh my Ojai. Gosh. and wow. i went up to her and i said you know i'm the voice on." and the two of us started singing the owl and the pussycat together <laughs> oh wow <laughs> and i wanted her to sing my to to do the stravinsky version and then my version because i thought she would be perfect for it but it ha- so far it hasn't happened i hope it will someday
0: Oh, that'd be awesome. That's really great. And, and you know, I wanted to ask you about your singing because you obviously have had a very, very significant career as a singer and all these wonderful experiences. How has that informed your composition? I think it's
2: probably informed my composition more than anything else I've done in my life, with the exception of, you know, listening to many, many different composers and going to endless concerts from uh, Baroque to the most contemporary. But the the human voice is, I think, of course, the original instrument. And I find that in my composing, I do think very much about vocal lines, whether it's for a clarinet or a violin or a French horn. And I think that uh, vocal lines are very important in terms of writing for instruments.
0: Well, let's go ahead and segue into the next piece that we want to take a listen to, Boundaries for String Orchestra. It's conducted by Joel Lisch and the CLW Orchestra. Mm ¶¶
2: I think there was a question about how did this piece come about um, and and why did I call it Boundaries? And at the time I was living up in the hills of Los Angeles and uh, I grew up actually in the Hollywood Hills. And so it was not unusual for me after I moved back from New York to want to return to my roots in a way and so I found a house up in the hills and um, our next door neighbor um, really encroached on our property and you know what they say good fences make good neighbors (laughs) and so at a certain point the old fence was torn down and we had some issues with our neighbor and so I was really kind of angry about the whole thing, and yet this um, melodic and kind of lushly rich piece came out, and the question is, where did that come from? And I find that sometimes my emotional makeup has nothing to do with what I end up writing. And and it's very curious. I, I don't understand that. Uh, in myself and i don't know if other composers have the same uh, way of, of composing you know many times people think oh well when you're going through a tragedy that you write sad music and actually before i became a composer i i thought that i thought well only if i'm sad i will only write sad songs and if i'm happy i'll only write Happy songs. <laughs> well, it doesn't work that way.
1: Yeah. I, I wonder if sometimes the process of creating transforms your emotions and takes you to a different place. I mean, that's I kind of how, how catharsis works when yes. you're dealing with grief and when you're dealing with um, w- anger, even, you know, just the act of, of creating can possibly transform. Your emotions into something else. I think that's absolutely
2: true. And, and actually, maybe what's underneath the anger or the sadness um, may be something richer. And uh, th- so it comes out in the music. And how lucky we composers are that we have this way of expressing ourselves.
1: When I listen to that piece of yours, I imagine... The West, it, it really sounds, I can hear um, the expansiveness of California and the West and maybe, maybe some of what you were communicating and you can tell me if I'm wrong. It, it's just what I hear is this big, beautiful space that you have, that you were, that you'd moved into. And yes. uh, the land is, it's more about the, the actual land than about the dispute itself. You know, it's interesting that you say that, Anna,
2: because actually living up in the hills, and I had this great expansive vision of looking all the way over to different mountain ranges. And uh, actually, when I lived there, they were building the J. Paul Getty Museum uh, up on Mulholland. And uh, and so I watched that building go up. But the, the expansiveness... I think is part of this piece in addition to the boundary.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. It's, it's, it's art artists. So especially music is such a, an abstract. That's why people have talked about muses and wondering where it comes from, because sometimes it doesn't feel like it comes from us.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's true. Interesting.
1: This next piece we're going to listen to uh, by Adrian Albert is called Nightfall for cello and piano. It's Marek Sparkiewicz on cello and Kevin Fitzpatrick on piano.
0: For those who don't know, that piece was composed in reaction or in reflection to 9-11. Go ahead and and talk to us a little bit about the emotions and what went into that piece for you.
2: I think this was one of my more reflective and uh, emotional pieces uh, because I lived in New York and my son grew up there and we watched the towers coming down, it was uh, a true tragedy universally. But for me, it it spoke to a, a deep sadness. And I think you probably hear it in the piece. Um, we only heard an excerpt of it, but it It is actually originally, I wrote it uh, as part of a sonata for bassoon and piano. And the uh, commissioner was playing it at a Christmas concert one evening, and there were a couple of cellists there, and they said, oh, we must play this on the cello. <laughs> so it does, it speaks to a lot of different instruments. Uh, I have a, a version for horn, and it has been played on horn and on saxophone and, of course, on bassoon. Uh, and, but the cello somehow with the, that richness of tone and the beauty of the, the instrument just really speaks in this piece.
0: We were talking about music that is reflective of a particular emotion and sometimes how even music as we compose can come out as the complete opposite or the polar opposite of the emotion that we're feeling. Throughout history, music has been written in response to difficult events such as this. Do you think that there's a connection, especially with something so universal and, and something that has affected everyone so deeply, that there is a connection that we all have and then somehow this music comes out so profoundly.
2: I think so. I think it, it, any uh, sentient person uh, with any kind of uh, depth of feeling has got to feel strongly about what uh, what we're experiencing today and what we experienced uh, during 9-11 as well as throughout history. So many tragedies have taken place. Uh, again, if one thinks about that and one wants to speak to that through his or her music, then it is possible to write a piece that speaks to, let's say, the the virus right now or to, you know, a fire that happened in, in the valley. Um, if one wants to address that, then it's possible. But if one just allows the the depth of feeling to go wherever, as we were discussing earlier, it doesn't necessarily come out as in response to, you know, something that is happening at that time.
1: I, and sometimes I think for me, music is uh, like poetry. It means different things at different times, um, depending right. on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um and that's the beauty of, of this kind of art form is how personal it can be for the listener as well as the composer. And I just think it's interesting that your music is so um, responsive to all of these different emotions and events and personal experiences of yours. Well, I think because in part
2: because I, unlike many other composers, I never really studied composition. And, uh, so my pieces are sort of an outgrowth of how I feel. I, I write from my heart. I write from my stomach. I don't necessarily write from a, a cerebral point of view. And, uh, you know, it, it, in certain stages, uh, that's fine. And in other times, um, my pieces would be kind of sappy and, you know, not be particularly of interest. But um, even though I, when I was a singer, I sang everything from, you know, Baroque pieces to Luigi Nono to, uh, you know, the most avant-garde pieces, uh, in my composing, I find that um, I have a much richer emotional life that I like to speak to through my composing.
0: So, Adrian, you had mentioned about the last piece that you had written it for different uh, instrument arrangements. This is a perfect way to introduce this next piece because this piece has also been written for many different arrangements of instruments as well. Uh, It's one of your most well-known pieces called Doppler Effect. Um, We'll take a listen to it, and then we can start talking about it after we hear the piece. Great. As the Doppler effect. This particular arrangement was for flute, viola, and harp, and it was performed by the Fire Pink Trio right here in Raleigh, North Carolina. The performers were Deborah ruder Pavetta on flute, Sheila Brown on viola, and Jacqueline Bartlett on harp. And this work is available for purchase on the MSR Classics CD, Poetry in Motion. What a wonderful piece. Uh, just thank you. Like, a, like a, oh yes, like a blooming flower, you know, and, and, and I love the fact that you've made it available for so many different ensembles to perform um, so that so many people can hear how lovely it is. Oh,
2: and thank you, Tarek. It actually is my, I guess, my most popular piece. And uh, it happens that when people hear it, they say, oh, well, you know, could you do an uh, orchestration for trumpet and bassoon and piano? Sure. I, and it, it, it becomes a different piece each time. I have fun, um, doing different versions of this piece, and I, I must have like 16 or more. Um, the piece actually came about through a, um, a trip that I uh, took in, in Europe, and we were at a sidewalk cafe in Rome, and, uh, you know, we were having lunch, and, Of course, the Roman drivers are not the greatest, and you could hear little accidents coming, and then you hear the siren coming, and it starts out higher, and then as it goes by, it goes lower, and I thought, hmm, that would be an interesting piece to write. So that's how the Doppler effect came about, and uh, this actually is the original instrumentation because I wrote it because of the Debussy trio, which is this instrumentation. And then through this, um, you know, many other instrumentations came about.
0: You know, uh, it's interesting to me because I listened to a few versions of this. I went, you know, and, oh, and researched you. the piece. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I was Because I was curious, what was the differences from, fr- from ensemble to ensemble? Mm-hmm. And it's not that it sounded like a different piece, but it took on a different character.
2: Exactly.
0: Uh, I listened to the version for flute, bassoon, and harp, and that bassoon added such a haunting quality to it. it, mm-hmm. it the piece got darker mm-hmm. all of a sudden.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: I know this is your baby, so this might be a tough question to answer, but do you have a favorite version?
2: <laughs> I like all my children. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I, because, as you say, the different instrumentations take on such a different feel. And you know, as you say the the bassoon has this dark sound and uh and that was um that's one of the two or or three of my favorite instrumentations i think flute bassoon, and harp um i I even like uh, flute, French horn and piano i think it it works well um so there are so many different different versions, but I like them all. Thank you.
1: <laughs> if anyone is interested in listening to these different versions, you can actually listen to them on Adrian's website, um, adrianalbert.com under her works tab. Uh, you can go down and look at listen to all these different versions of Doppler effect. And if you're so inclined, it's a really interesting journey. Um, our next piece is called Courage for Winds, performed by the West Point Band with Todd Addison conducting. Um, this piece is available for purchase from Navonarecords.com on the Prisma label Courage for Wins by Adrian Albert. That was Courage for Winds" by Adrian Albert. I had mentioned earlier that it was from the Prisma label. Uh, I was wrong. Um, it's the Prisma album. It's an album of contemporary works for large ensemble, and you can find that on Amazon or on um, High Resolution Audio if that's where you get your albums. Was that commissioned for the West Point Band? No. Actually, er, it was originally written for orchestra.
2: Um, and the, the Doctor Symphony Orchestra of Los Angeles premiered it in 2001, I believe. And it, it's a, a very good orchestra piece as well. But uh, one of the band directors at one of the colleges nearby called me up one day and said, you know, I just heard your courage and I wondered if you could do it a transcription for band because he said, I think it would make a wonderful band piece. And so I did. And I think he's right. <laughs> it's actually had many more uh, performances of of the wind piece, the courage for winds than the orchestral piece. So I guess it does work well for the winds.
1: So this piece was an outgrowth of your battle with breast cancer. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, how did music help you through that journey? That's an interesting question, Anna.
2: And I think this probably was one of the easiest pieces I have written. And I say that because some pieces are just agony to get through. But this piece kind of just poured out of me. And there is, you know, the, the rhythmic figure is like a, um, a heartbeat. And the, the power of the brass uh, and The forward motion of the piece, I just felt that I'm going to get through this. And uh, I didn't really speak about the piece very much until the head of the Doctor Symphony one day said to me, You know, you really should talk about your story. Because I think that most of us who get to be a certain age have experienced difficulties in our life. And it really takes courage to move forward. So, The piece came easily. The title came easily. I love it when titles come easily because Mm -hmm. it seems to uh, add to the fact that the piece will say its own name, uh, if you know what I mean. Yeah.
0: There are a lot of pieces that you compose that have a narrative to them, um, like like Courage for Winds and Mm -hmm. some of the other pieces that we've performed on the show today. Sunswept is the next piece that we're going to take a listen to. And, and this is also very, has a strong narrative to it as well. It's for flute and piano. And the performance we're going to hear uh, is by Alexander Haskins on flute and Mary Au at the piano. And this is actually the last movement of a larger sonata called the Global Warming Sonata. was an excerpt from your piece, Global Warming Sonata. You had taken several trips far north, I read, in 2005 and 2006, and you personally witnessed some changes to the environment. And I was curious how that impacted your composing of the piece. I can certainly hear it with the the playfulness between the flute and the piano here. What was it like experiencing that?
2: It was um, a life-changing event for me. I was commissioned by um through the National Endowment to write a quote symphony for the Kenai Peninsula in Alaska and I'd always wanted to go to Alaska and so I ended up going at least a half a dozen times at different times of the year to um to be in the the natural environment Uh, in the dead of winter and in the top of the summer and, you know, in the summer solstice, it was a great experience. And during that time, I uh, listened to a, a woman who was talking about global warming. And I could see in the different times that I would go, and I would see the icebergs melting, literally melting before my eyes. Um, so that's how that piece came about, and um, it was a marvelous experience. I I can't wait to go back to Alaska. I loved it there.
0: What part of Alaska were you in?
2: Um, in the Kenai Peninsula, which is just south of Anchorage, um, it's a gorgeous area, and uh, the town itself is called Homer, Alaska, um, and. It, there's also Soldatna, and, and the people who live in that community are, uh, there are a lot of artists, there are a lot of um, musicians, there are a lot of scientists, you know, people from all over the world, I think they're very uh, brave to, to settle in Alaska.
1: Sunswept is another of your pieces that you would, you would expect something a little bit darker um, in a global warming sonata something a little bit more melancholy, but this one feels so joyous, and um, and even the title feels joyous. Um. Well, actually, in in the
2: original um, the Global Warming Sonata, it was originally for horn and piano, and I originally called it windswept. I think I called it either windswept or windmills. And then out of that came as again, you know, when, when a musician hears a piece and they say, oh, I love that. Could you do a transcription for my instrument? And actually I think that Sunswept is probably my favorite of all of the, um, the versions of this particular movement.
1: It's so interesting to hear you talk about how your process of re reimagining your previous works. So it's, um, mm-hmm. so people do arrangements of other composers works and so they'll, They'll ask for permission to do an arrangement themselves, but these people are coming to you and asking you to do these transcriptions mm-hmm. and uh, and you seem perfectly willing to do that. is that is that do you think that's unusual in a composer? Perhaps. Um,
2: but you know, Mozart did transcriptions. I mean there <laughs> um, i I actually love it and I find it a challenge because each instrument and each musician has his and her own Persona. And so to, to take a piece like Windmills that I originally wrote for horn and then to embellish it for the flute. And this particular flutist, uh, Alexander Hoskins is just, he's a fabulous flutist. Um, it was a, it was a joy. It was, and, and it was, um, not an easy task, I must say.
0: So let's move on to another piece in the cold weather, Winter Solace. And this piece is for alto saxophone and piano. It's performed by Doug Masick on alto saxophone and Rita Borden on piano.
1: That was Winter Solace for Alto Sax and Piano by Adrian Albert. Adrian, this piece was composed for a friend of yours, Doug Massick. Yes, a
2: very dear friend and, and a marvelous saxophonist.
1: Did Doug commission you to, to uh, write this piece, or was this another organic emotional reaction to?
2: Well, actually, if the truth be told, this piece. With another title, comes from uh, the global warming sonata, and uh, it's uh, in in that sonata. I call it ice melting.
1: Ah, okay, that makes sense. Yes, it does sound a little bit like ice melting. Exactly, with the downward lines. It does. Yes, yes. Beautiful Uh tone painting there.
2: Yeah. Thank you. And, yeah. and Doug really loved it. And so we decided to call it Winter Solace. And um, that's how that came about.
0: Well, Adrian, we wanted to thank you so much for being with us today on The Composer Studio. It's an absolute joy to have you here with us and to be able to share your music with the listeners. Thank you
2: so much. I have so enjoyed
0: being with you. We wanted to close with a piece of yours called Western Suite for Orchestra, and to give you just a moment here to just share a little bit about the piece before we listen to it.
2: This is uh, a piece that I wrote mm, early on. This is one of my earlier orchestral works, and because I grew up in the West, I love the West. The West is the best, um, and California has so many differential things about it, you know, the beach and the mountains and the desert and on and on and on. And I also, uh, I studied in Aspen. Uh, so I love the mountains and I love the Wild West. And this is kind of a tone poem of the West.
0: And we're going to close the show now with Western Suite for Orchestra. This is performed by the Virginia Symphony with Wes Kenny conducting. Composer Studio, created and produced by Amy Scaria, Anna Linville, and Tara Curadella. You can find us on Facebook at facebookcom Studio. Pop over to our Facebook page for bonus links, music tidbits, and news about our featured composers. You can also visit our website at www.composerstudionc.com. If you are a composer and interested in being considered for a feature on our show, reach out to us at composerstudionc at gmail.com or send us a note through our Facebook page or website. We'd love to hear from you. The opening music for our show was composed by Tarek Giridella, and the closing music was composed by Amy Korea. Until next week, thank you for listening and opening your ears to the music of today.